If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and welcome to week 26 of our Romans series, where we are walking through um, this amazingly deep and incredible book. And last week, we entered into the practical section of this book, beginning at verse 12 through verse 16, where we kind of unpack the will of God. And according to Paul, because of God's mercies, we now have a calling. Not only do we give our bodies to God, which is what we see in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, now we're going to see that we give ourselves to the church. So we give our bodies to God, we give ourselves to the church. And before we jump into that, I just want to call all of us to just think about, in this moment, how incredible and how wonderful God's creation is. The heavens declare the glory of God. The oceans show us just the vastness and faithfulness of God. The mountains show us his grandeur. God's creation is absolutely wonderful. But do you know what God's greatest work of art is? It's not the Grand Canyon. It's not Hawaii or Tahiti. It's not even the galaxies and the stars. Look around. It is us. You and me, according to this book, we are God's workmanship. We are God's poem. We are God's masterpiece. Each and every one of us has, have been made by God on purpose and made by God for a purpose. We're made wonderfully. And just consider that. Think about this. Just think about your nose. So I want everybody to cross your eyes and look down at your nose. Everybody look down at your nose. Your nose can detect over 10,000 different aromas. Now, depending on who you live with or where you go, that can be a really good thing or that can be a very bad thing. And then consider your tongue. I'm going to give some of you permission to do something you've wanted to do for a long time. Stick out your tongue at me. So stick out your tongue. Think about this. Within that little muscle are about 6,000 different taste buds. Then consider our brains. 86 billion neurons in our brain connected to the rest of our body so that when we taste something or see something or feel something, it triggers our brain to recall a memory or to experience pain or to cause emotion. In fact, messages from our brains travel along our nerves at up to 200 miles per hour. And this one's overwhelming. Our bodies have so many blood vessels that their combined length could circle the planet two and a half times. That's in your body right now, pumping blood to your extremities, pumping blood to your hands and to your feet. God made you. He laid you out in, per, in a perfect pattern so that you would work exactly the way that you're supposed to. God also customized each and every one of us with our own special DNA blueprint, which is contained in every single cell within those 60 trillion cells. There is a blueprint that God has laid out for you. It's been estimated that, our, that if our individual blueprint were written out in a book, it would require over 200,000 pages. That's you. And here's the beautiful thing. God knows what's on every page. He knows what's on every page. This is the beauty, the pinnacle of God's creation. As incredible as it is, it is us. Yet, we reach our full potential 
only when we find our purpose in Jesus Christ. Only when we find our purpose in him will we understand our full potential. And last week, we saw how we give ourselves to God. We come to God. We put ourselves on his altar as living sacrifices. But today, as we come to verses 3 through 8, Paul now explains that not only do we give ourselves to God as living sacrifices, but God gives us something as well. Something that's far greater. God gives us assurance of salvation. God gives us hope and belonging and a sense of purpose. But he also gives us his Holy Spirit. And in giving us his Holy Spirit, we are given spiritual gifts. We're given spiritual gifts by which we are able to make much of him throughout the body of Christ. In fact, let me put a definition of spiritual gifts on the screen. Spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements of ability given at conversion by God that equip the recipient to perform a spiritual function or assignment that strengthens the church, the body of Christ. So at your conversion, God gives you spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not saying you're stuck with those spiritual gifts and only those spiritual gifts. I know everyone has at least one, and I know oftentimes we have different gifts at different points for different purposes of what God has called us to do. But let me also say this this morning. Spiritual gifts are not toys for Christians to play with. They are tools for us to build with, and they are weapons for us to fight with. So there is a purpose here. So I want us to jump into the text this morning and be reminded of our purpose given to us by Christ. And once again, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read verses 3 through 8 together of Romans chapter 12. So Romans 12, beginning at verse 3, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come today and we understand this picture of us, God, being made in you for purpose. Lord, help us, God, we pray even today to find our purpose in you and within your church. God, that you don't give us spiritual gifts so that we can make much of ourselves. Lord, you don't give us spiritual gifts so that we can go out and start ministries in our name. Lord, you give us gifts so that we can make much of you. So that we can make much of your name and your fame and what you have done by grace in us. Lord, just speak to us today and God, help us all to give ourselves fully and completely God, to your work in and through this, your church, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, he places his spirit in us. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life, the Holy Spirit also brings housewarming gifts. 
So the Holy Spirit gives us housewarming gifts that are called spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, as the Bible calls them, are given to each one of us to help the entire church. Every, let me say it again, every follower of Christ has a role to play within the body. And we are called to bring our gifts together as one. Not one Christian is gift deprived. All of us have a gift. So the good news is that spiritual adventure awaits us when we put our trust in Christ. The, the cure for common or a boring or even a selfish life begins and ends with God. If you've ever wondered how not to waste your life, if you've ever wondered how not to spend your life on things that don't matter, then spiritual gifts is your answer. Now, many people think spiritual gifts is like a spiritual or religious term for just natural talents, but that's not what we're talking about here. However, the, the Bible makes it clear that spiritual gifts are something activated at a particular point in time when we trust Christ. And here's what I know about us. We, as people, we have an incessant need to gather as much information about ourselves as we can. We take personality tests. We learn about ourselves, whether it be the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or the Enneagram. I even took the What Disney Princess Are You test, and I am Pocahontas, which I didn't know how to feel about that at first, but she's brave and she's smart and she's pretty, so I'll go with it um, for now. But here's the deal. When we think about all of those tests and those things that we do, the interesting insights can be fun and they can even be helpful but, please hear this, self-discovery without God will always come up short. Self-discovery apart from Him and how He designed you and made you and the gifts that He has given you will always come up short. So as we come to understand who we are in Christ, we realize we've been given these spiritual gifts that enable us to love and to build and to grow the kingdom of God here on earth. No follower of Christ has all the gifts, but all of us have gifts, at least one. And I want to focus today on three things that will happen when we find our purpose in Christ. The first is this, finding our purpose in the body produces humility. When we find our purpose in the body, it produces humility. Look at verse 3 again. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what Paul is saying is this, the gospel prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we should, because the gospel tells us we're sinners. Our efforts only earn us more judgment, and we are saved uh, entirely by the kindness of another. In the same way, though, the gospel also prevents us from thinking more lowly of ourselves than we should. We're saved sinners. We're loved and we're valuable and we're valued by the one whose opinion ultimately matters. So we see this and that's humbling for us. Yet we understand that humility was not something that was desired in the Roman culture to which Paul was writing. Humility was for the inferior Remember that social life in ancient Rome was fiercely competitive and they were consumed with the pursuit of honor and status. Raising themselves up was the aim of their lives. Yet Paul exhorts them to do the opposite, to think less of themselves. And for Paul, he understood that pride 
undercuts the gospel. And let me just show you how. For the gospel says, lay down, lay down your life for others. Pride says you're more valuable than others. Protect yourself. The gospel says, love one another as Christ has loved you. Pride says, love yourself above all. The gospel says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pride says, others should submit to my greatness. The gospel says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others like Jesus showed you. Pride says, make sure your interests are taken care of. They're probably right anyway. Pride is the great destroyer of gospel community. Pride is destroying. And Paul knew this. So Paul exhorted the Roman believers, first and foremost, to resist pride. And in resisting pride, to see their place in the body of Christ rightly. Have you ever thought about what humility looks like? And maybe you think about a, a person, when you think about humility, if you think about yourself, you're doing it wrong. But you know, have you ever thought about what humility looks like? One commentator put it this way, and this is so amazing. He said, an easy way to tell if you have a servant heart is how you act when you're treated like a servant. How do you act when someone actually treats you like a servant? Do you fight back against that and say, you're not going to treat me like a servant? Do you not, not know who I am? In doing that, we're showing we don't have a servant heart. In fact, he says this, do you see services as beneath your calling? Are you willing to go wherever you're needed? Or would you do any job that needs to be done, even if crowds won't throng to thank you, and even if your achievements go hardly noticed? Listen, we all love to be served. We sometimes love the feeling that comes when we serve. But not many are okay with being looked upon as a servant. Yet in our service, there's humility. And although humility is the key, humility can be tainted. This is one of the things that C.S. Lewis explored in his book, The Screwtape Letters. In this book, he is writing from the devil's perspective. And he's showing us the devil's temptation playbook. And in one of the letters, Senior Demon Screwtape is, writes to his nephew Wormwood, his apprentice, and says this, Your patient, that's the human, has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to this fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them, but this is specifically true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble, and almost immediately pride. Pride at his own humility will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt. And so on through as many stages as you please. So the devil even uses our pride to say, man, you're being so humble right now. We're like, we are, I am. I am being so, there's no more humble person right now on this earth than I am. And in that moment, we are letting pride come in to our lives. And for Lewis, humility is not a matter of thinking less of ourselves, but less about ourselves. Don't think so much about ourselves so often and turn towards others in love. You see, if we think highly of ourselves, we won't feel the need for God in our lives. And if we feel or think too highly of ourselves, we won't ever pursue connections in the body. Amen. Finding our purpose in the body produces humility. But then secondly, finding our purpose in the body produces unity. It produces 
unity. Look at verses 4 and 5, and your Bibles are on the screen. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. That's beautiful. The Word of God is filled with vivid pictures that depict and describe the people of God. Some are, we're the temple in which the Spirit of God dwells. We're the vine planted and nourished by God. We are the flock that Christ shepherds and leads. We're the bride of Christ. We're the family of God. These pictures are amazing just when taken by themselves, but when, they're, when they come together, it changes our perception of the church from a from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. We look at the church now not in black and white, but now in color. And although the Bible is filled with different images that describe the people of God, the most dominant image throughout the New Testament of us as Christians is the body. We're the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we're unified in our common salvation and we're unified in our, our mission. Listen, though our relationship with God is personal, yes, your relationship with God is personal, it's never private. It's never private. And think about this. Within the body, there is unity. In verse 4 and 5, one body. We see it twice, one body. Within the body of Christ, there's diversity, many members. Within the body of Christ, there's interdependence, members one of another. And here's where we go wrong, brothers and sisters. We are not called, as the body of Christ, to uniformity. Meaning we're not called to look alike, act alike, think alike about every single thing. That's what some people think. How dare that person sitting next to me in church say they have a different opinion? I don't even know if they're saved anymore. It's like, are you kidding me? It's an opinion. It's an opinion. And yet, sometimes, if we're not careful, guess what Satan does? He divides us, not on what this book says. He divides us because somebody thinks differently than you do. Amen. Who in the world are we to think? They might have a different opinion, but God's calling for us is not uniformity. God's calling for us is unity in spite of other people's thoughts and opinions and beliefs and the way they look or even the way they might act differently than us. It has been said that the key difference between unity and uniformity is their acceptance of differences. When there is unity, people tend to tolerate and accept differences. But uniformity implies that everyone is alike, so there is no room for differences. When uniformity is the focus, the goal is to create harmony by silencing all dissenting thoughts, all dissenting opinions, all dissenting beliefs. But hear this. When unity, is the, when unity is the focus, then Christ is the goal. When unity is the focus, Christ is the goal. When uniformity is the focus, then only certain people can talk. And only certain people can share what they think or what they believe. But when unity is the focus, Christ becomes the goal. We have been given, brothers and sisters, distinct personalities and temperaments and histories and abilities that equip us for a particular set of good works that God has created for us to do. And God has deliberately ordered us, his church, as he ordered the human body to be inter interdependent, belonging to each other, unified in purpose. I'm so thankful that my body is unified in purpose most of the time. 
And most of the time I say my mind get up and my body actually does it. There's times where it's like, nope, not today. But you know, the, the picture is, you know, we're unified in our in that sense. And that's the way God made our body, and that's the way God designed his body. You know, most regions of the world, except for ours, are familiar with the amazing phenomenon of, of snow. Snowflakes are beautiful, uniquely created ice crystals. Individual snowflakes, though, are fragile. They'll melt when they stick on your hand or come to your hand, yet lumped together. They have a, they're a force to be reckoned with. Lumped together, snowflakes can shut down cities and airports. Lumped together, snowflakes can create landscape that artists dream of and that we see on postcards. Lumped together, snow can create joy for skiers and joy for children as they build snowmen and they create their arsenal of snowballs for the snowball fight, all because the snowflakes stick together. Brothers and sisters, each one of us has been uniquely gifted with the capacity to make a contribution to the work of Christ within the body of Christ. We were never intended to isolate ourselves from the body, but to work together to make much of him. May that be so among us. May unity be more important to us than uniformity. Finding our purpose in the body produces unity. And then lastly, finding our purpose in the body produces ministry. It produces ministry. Look at verses 6 through 8 together. Paul writes, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, or our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Listen, spiritual gifts are not the goal of our life. They're the gateway by which we are able to be a blessing within the body of Christ. So spiritual gifts aren't the goal. They're the gateway that allows us to be used by God here and now. And they come because of grace. So not only does God in his grace make us righteous, God in his grace gives us spiritual gifts gifts that we can use for him and make much of him. The story is told that after World War II, a group of German students volunteered to help rebuild an English cathedral that had been severely damaged by German bombs. As work progressed, they became concerned about a large statue of Jesus whose arms were outstretched and beneath was this inscription, Come unto me. They had peculiar difficulty trying to restore the hands of Christ which had been completely destroyed. After much discussion, they decided to let the hands remain missing and change the inscription to, Christ has no hands but our hands. He has no hands but our hands. And just think about this list of gifts. This is not a complete list. Paul gives other lists elsewhere in Scripture. But generally speaking, spiritual gifts are broken down into three categories. You have speaking gifts, you have leading gifts, and you have serving gifts. So speaking, leading, and serving. And Paul says that these gifts have been given to us according to the grace given. Meaning, and I think we need to hear this, 
Although we're all called to these seven things that we just read, God gives certain believers an extra measure of grace in these things. So everyone has at least one. I'm going to break these down real quick. So we have prophecy. What comes to your mind when you think about prophecy? And for most in the church, we immediately think about someone telling the future. Like we think about future telling. However, the way that it was originally intended in Scripture was not future telling, but forth telling. So speaking forth truth. Prophecy was known as an individual given the word of God, speaking forth that word. And sure, many times that prophet was given a word about what was coming about the future, but it was always the word of God. It was always the Lord leading, the Lord guiding. And although based on the Bible, get this, we, we definitely have the ability to speak future truths to people. So we speak forth the word of God. And speaking forth the word of God, we can speak truths. We can speak biblical truths. If you don't come to Christ, you will perish. That's a biblical truth. If you exist in pride, there is a fall coming. That is a biblical truth that we can speak to people. If you hang out with um, people who are living and running to sin, the Bible says you will be corrupted and you will fall along with them. There are biblical things that as we give ourselves to speaking forth the word of God, that we can absolutely speak the future. These things are coming, thus says the Lord, if you don't repent, if you don't change. Ultimately, prophecy is speaking the truth of, word, of the word of God and knowing the difference between truth and error. Then we have service. So what's so special about the gift of service? Listen, when someone is administrating the gift of service, they are putting other people's needs above their own. An on, honest observation that I've seen is that most people want the gift of service in their vicinity. They want someone with a gift of service around them. But few seem to actually want the gift of service given to them. Because, again, people begin to treat us like we're servants, and then we go, well, don't treat me like a servant. And pride wells up in us. But the gift of service, listen, oftentimes takes place behind the scenes. But if these gifts weren't done, weren't acted out, everyone would notice. Listen, faithful servants of First Baptist Church of Ocean Way make things happen every week that other people don't see. And I praise God for you. I praise God for, for faithful servants who do things that other people can't see, but if they didn't do them, it'd be noticed. And then they would come to me and complain about it. Uh, it's, it's amazing how that might happen. But praise God for you serving in that way. Then the next gift, teaching. The gift of teaching is the ability to take the, the message of the Bible and make it understandable to others. And the gift of teaching is as necessary in the Christian life as nutrition is to our bodies. Pastor Chuck Swindoll says, Take teaching away, and the body becomes prey to wolves and false instructors. We need the gift of teaching. Now, let me say this, maybe just as a joke, but maybe a little bit of truth. There are people that I've met who think they have a gift of teaching and preaching, and unfortunately, those who hear them don't have the gift of listening. So I, I'm thankful for you today for at least for a time having the gift of listening in this moment. So we need to make sure if we have the gift of teaching that there are people around us that have the gift of enduring or at least listening as we speak. Then, of course, the next gift is exhortation. It means to motivate. It means to encourage, to stimulate, or even to correct. The gift of exhortation 
encourages us to grow in our faith. And let me just say this. Yes, you can watch services online, and online you can experience the gift of teaching. Online you can even experience the gift of preaching. But you can't experience the gift of exhortation online unless you're in a room with people who know you, who love you, and will encourage you to keep fighting the fight of faith. Keep running the race. Don't give up or get up. We need those people in our lives that will tell us, listen, I can look at you. Get up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't do it. Amen. Then the next gift is contribution or giving. Now, what we know, according to the Word of God, every believer should regularly give of their resources to the work of the kingdom of God. But it's also true that God has given some people a special gift of generosity. And I'm so thankful and praise God for those people. People who are blessed with a gift to recognize that everything they have is from the Lord. Therefore, they hold on to what they have loosely and they give it gladly. I praise God for those people who hold loosely and give gladly. And then the next gift is leading. So leading, and many people, of course, strive for this gift or want this gift because in their minds, leaders are the ones in the church that people look up to. Leaders are the ones in the church that run everything. Leaders are the ones in the church that make all the important decisions, and that's where I need to be. And, of course, while those things can definitely happen under the leadership umbrella, one who has been given this gift understands that they are actually a servant to all. So in, in my capacity as a leader, I'm not called to be served. I'm called to be the leading servant. I'm called to be a leading servant among the body of Christ. And then the, lastly, acts of mercy. Now, I love Paul doesn't just say mercy because it's not just a feeling. Acts of mercy. There has to be acts involved. It has to be shown. And this could be caring for the sick. This could be caring for the poor caring for the aged, caring for people that the rest of society forget about. And I think immediately about our food pantry and about our sewing ministry and what they are doing and in other ministries that we have. But when you do this, Paul says, do it cheerfully. I think what it means is this. If you're going to minister to people who are miserable, you better not be miserable about it. If you're going to minister to people who are miserable in a miserable state, don't do it in a miserable way. Do it in a cheerful way. Do it in a way that you're going to lift them up and encourage them in the process. Think about the spiritual gifts. As one pastor said, not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it, but something does. Not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it, but something does. Figure out what it is and devote yourself to it in the church. And let me, let me just go a step further this morning. A Christian has no right to withhold his or her gifts from the church. God gave us gifts because he loves the church, and we are to use our gifts for the good of brothers and sisters let me, let me say it a different way. Love what God loves. God loves the church. He loved it so much he sent his son who laid his life down for the church. Love what God loves and find your place in it. Find your place here. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? 
Do you know the gifts that God has given you? Do you know how to discover your gifts? Now, if you've never done that or haven't done it in a while, one method is a spiritual gift inventory. Right in the table in the middle, in the foyer, we have spiritual gift inventories if you would like to get them. But here's the problem with spiritual gift inventories. They oftentimes put us in a box that many of you go, yeah, I know my spiritual gift. I took a, I took a test 20 years ago. Well, brothers and sisters, God might be doing something new in your life. And instead of using those new gifts that God has given you, you put yourself in a box. So don't just, don't, I would say, try to, as much as we possibly can, discover the gifts that God has given to us. So spiritual gift inventory is a helpful thing. Also, pray and serve. So pray about how God is gifting you within the body and serve. Because as you serve, your gifts will either lead you to the right places or your gifts will make room for you. Meaning that as you serve, other people in the body of Christ will go, they're good at leading. They're good at teaching. They're good at this. They're good at that. And let's make room for that in the body. You know, what are your passions? What, what needs are you drawn to? Or let me put it in a different way. What do you complain the most about? What do you complain the most about at church? And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that if you are gifted in a certain way, then when things aren't done the way they should be done, it's going to bother you. And when it bothers you, instead of just complaining about it, maybe, just maybe, that, that's God saying, I've gifted you in this area, help. I gifted you in this way, do something about it. Help in that way. Let me say this this morning, and please hear this. Everything that God wants to do in and through this church exists in the congregation of this church. Let me say it again. Everything that God wants to do in and through First Baptist Church of Ocean Way exists in the congregation of the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way. We have an opportunity. We have opportunity to be used by God in awesome ways. But let me end this way because we're, we're close to lunchtime. I want you to imagine yourself baking your favorite cake. Imagine the warm aroma of that cake just filling your kitchen as you take it out of the oven and you put everything on it, you put it in the refrigerator, and you, you get it out. And you take a big, huge bite, and that sweet satisfaction that you anticipated is quickly disrupted because you realize in that moment you didn't put sugar in the cake. I'll never forget sitting at the dinner table one night, and mom pours sweet tea for all of us. We drank it, and all of us spit it out because she forgot to add sugar. You know, when you're expecting sugar and there's sugar not in there, bad things can happen. In the same way, imagine the body of Christ without people serving the body. Imagine the body of Christ without people serving the body or within the body. It wouldn't be the same. Similar to a, a cake without sugar. Each of us are a key ingredient in the church. We have a unique set of gifts and qualities that we bring to the table and we elevate what God is doing here. Listen, some are called to formal titles. I get that. But we all share the responsibility of participating in the mission. Let me end this way. Don't rob this church of the resource that is you. Don't rob this church of the resource that is you, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your service. 
recognize that all of God's plans for First Baptist Church of Ocean Way include you. They include your gifts. They include what God has gifted you. And let me end this way. May God use us even now to make much of his name. And as I read this week, if the dreams behind us are bigger, or excuse me, if the memories behind us are bigger than the dreams in front of us, then we don't have a future. May the dreams in front of us stay huge. May the dreams in front of us stay big for the sake of the future that God has given to us. But may we come together as one, serve this body for the sake of the one who has saved us, called us, and gifted us. With that said, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to call the musicians forward and enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. Father, we we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the gifts that we have. And thank you, Father, for the people, or the individual people that you have given to this body of believers. One body, many members, unified together for a purpose to make much of you here. God, I pray that we would not rob this church of ourselves. That we would not rob the church of our gifts our passions, our abilities, that we would give ourselves in that way to the church for you so that much will be made of you. We'll just finish this time in a way that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.